Praise God. Here we are on Christmas Eve, 2023, and we're a blessed people. God's been so very, very good to us. Welcome, everyone. We're happy to have each and every one of you with us in service today. And I trust that before you leave here, you will say, I met with God. That's the most important thing that we do. We don't come together for any other reason, really. The primary focus is that we could touch the Lord, the touch the hem of his garment. Praise God, praise God. I'm going to say thank you again to uh, Brother Andrew, Sister Cheryl, for uh, feeling a burden and helping me out with an airplane that broke down. And all the folks who have helped, thank you so very much. Appreciate it. We do use it for the work of the Lord, and we thank you right now. Sister Stoops and I are very blessed to have so many loving, caring people in this congregation, and and we're blessed by each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you for being who you are, and God is good. He's got his hand upon us, does he not? Praise God. Can we just close our eyes now and lift up our voices? God, we praise you on this beautiful Christmas Eve morn. Right now, we're thanking you, Lord God, for the fact that you came and robed yourself in flesh. We're thankful for the incarnation. God, if it were not for you doing that for us, there would be no hope. But because you did that for us, there's all kinds of hope, and there's nothing you cannot fix, nothing you cannot do, no one you cannot save, nobody you cannot heal. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to start this out, <clears throat> for better or for worse, with a song. So we'll see what, we'll see what happens. Praise God. So whenever you got it, just go ahead and put that soundtrack up. No room, no room for him, no room to let him in. No room for Jesus in the world he made. No room. No room for the King of Kings. Room for others and for other things. Jesus in the world he made no room room for houses lands and treasures room for things that pass away For the one who reigns forever 
for him No room to let my Jesus in No room for Jesus in the heart he made Just for of kings room for others and for other things but no room for Jesus in the heart we made just for him think about it room for houses lands and Room for things that pass away But for the one who reigns forever There's no room today I'm going to the book of Luke, chapter 2, verse 7, and I anticipate a great move of the Holy Ghost today. Been enjoying everything, the, the singing, the music, the praising. It's been awesome, and I just feel like God wants to do something very special. See, I just believe that God still does miracles. And I love it when God does a Christmas miracle. So I'm praying that God would do a Christmas miracle today. Well, the first Christmas miracle, you know, was the incarnation. And I've seen God do some very special things when we're remembering that day. So in the book of Luke, chapter 2 and verse 7, Open your Bibles or read it off the wall. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And for just a few moments, I will speak to you with the Holy Ghost being my guide. Jesus, you can have my room. Would you lift your voices and would you praise God? Lord, you're great and greatly to be praised. Father, we thank you for the enabling of your spirit. 
We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and mercy. I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, your will be done. Now, everybody put your trust in the Lord. Listen carefully, and let's see what God will do. You may be seated. God was entering the world as a baby. But the innkeeper was just too busy to notice. He had a job to do. Business was brisk. He had put every mat, every available blanket to use and was counting the coins. The hotel business was booming because of the government-ordered census. Who could remember when such commerce had hit the little town of Bethlehem? There was way too much to do, way too much to do to reflect on spiritual things. After all, the day's bread had to be made. The innkeeper had no idea, none. The impossible had occurred. Majesty in the midst of mundane and holiness in the midst of sheep and oxen and divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable. <laughs> this baby had overlooked the universe. God Almighty had abandoned his heavenly throne for a sheep stable. Worshiping angels had been replaced with kind but bewildered shepherds. The innkeeper was absolutely oblivious that God himself was visiting his inn. He was totally unaware that he had just sent God out of his inn and into the cold night. But before you criticize the innkeeper, remember, he had no New Testament to read like you do. One thing I can tell you with certainty, God sometimes comes to us when we are very, very, very busy. God sometimes comes to us when there's situations going on and, and jobs to be done and family problems and things happening all around. There will never be a time that the stars all line up. Your schedule lightens up. And the perfect time to conveniently serve the Lord just opens up. Easy peasy. Nice and convenient. Nothing to stand in the way. No. No, listen to me. If you have room in your life for Christ Jesus, it will be only because you intentionally and purposefully and determinedly make room. There's nobody that's going to serve the Lord because it's the optimum time and everything's all lining up and, but I got nothing else to do. It's important to understand the things of this life will never allow space for serving Jesus. 
If you're going to serve him, it's going to be because uh, you intended him and you purposed him and you determined uh, to serve him. If you serve Jesus, it will be because you create space for serving Jesus. And folks, there's only one test coming up, and I hope you pass. Eternity will reveal whether we have made the right use of our time. Your adversary, the devil, will always be sure that, that something encroaches. Something interferes. It's never going to be convenient to serve the Lord. The innkeeper in Bethlehem, he missed the first coming of Jesus. In spite of the fact that Micah the prophet had said, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting in spite of the fact that Isaiah had said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You see, the innkeeper missed the first coming of Jesus. He was just too busy. Herod missed the first coming of Jesus because he was wicked. He was cruel. The innkeeper missed the first coming of Jesus because he was just too busy. The wise men of the East, they did not miss the first coming of Jesus because they sought him. And how many times have we heard people say, wise men still seek him? Oh, I want to encourage somebody. If you're going to get God in your life, it's going to be because you seek him. It's going to be because you purposefully and intentionally. He's not just going to come up to you haphazardly and coincidentally and, and you're just going to accidentally stumble upon a better life. No, there's going to have to be your hands involved. You're, you're going to have to get your heart involved. You're, you're going to have to put some skin in the game. You're going to have to be willing to put some time into... the eternal purpose that God has for you. Oh yes, the innkeeper missed the first coming. We must not miss the second coming. Now it's amazing to me how people can believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. That he actually lifted off the Mount of Olives and then sent it up into a cloud, but they don't believe he's going to come back. Which is harder to believe? Christ born of a virgin or coming back? Which is harder to believe? Christ ascending into heaven or Christ descending to come back to get his people? I promise you that the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. I know there are some of us that are Experiencing our first Christmas without somebody that we really dearly loved. But I want to tell you that he is coming back. And the dead are going to rise first. 
then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Jesus warned us in, in Matthew 16. He said, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Folks, that's a quote from the Lord Jesus. What kind of deal have you negotiated? If to get the things you want, you ever so gradually drift away and finally lose out with God for eternity. Everybody in this room is either sacrificing today for tomorrow or you're sacrificing tomorrow for today. Everybody. What would be so important that you would bargain away your soul for? Be careful. Everybody listen to me carefully. Be careful that you do not trade your soul for anything. Exclamation point. You know, the questions that Jesus asked in the Bible were not because he didn't know the answer. So when he asked, what shall man give in exchange for his soul? He didn't ask that because it never happens. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? A, a, a little more money and a little less God? A little more activities and a little less church? A little more of this, a little more of that, and you guessed it, a tiny little less of God. The scriptures tells us of another man in Acts 24 by the name of Felix and Felix serves as an example of what you should not do. Everybody listening? The, and ironically the name Felix means happy. Felix was originally a slave and, and for some unknown reason was freed by the emperor Claudius Caesar and appointed procurator of Judea. Felix was the recipient of military honors handed to him by the emperor himself. And today, today, today was just another long day in his very important job as Roman administrator of the province of Judea. The paperwork said the prisoner's name was simply Paul. A man who had once been known as Saul of Tarsus. And according to the record, he was a, a well-educated man who had studied at the feet of the eminent scholar Gamaliel. And so Felix is just having another day in the office or in the courtroom just going to get a few cases taken care of and suddenly unexpectedly Felix came face to face with the greatest opportunity of his entire life he wasn't expecting it this was not the time he was very very busy don't you get it 
But in the midst of his activity, an opportunity that would affect his eternal soul forever confronted him at the most inconvenient time. Watch what happens. Felix's plan that day was to hear just another case and get on with it. He did not discern that the Almighty was sending him a once-in-a-lifetime last exit before toll opportunity. Right in the middle of one of his busiest days. Had Felix not been so preoccupied, it would have become obvious to him that the Apostle Paul was an anointed man of God, sent from God to give him one shot at eternal life. Hey, hey. You need to wake up. Opportunities like this sometimes come only once in a lifetime. Sometimes they can only be for a few hours. And someday, sometimes they can stretch for weeks or even months. But God comes to every person at some particular time in their life. And he says, okay, I'm giving you your shot at eternal life. There's something about the Spirit of God when it is moving that the internal soul inside of you, whether you, you really want it to or not, recognizes the Spirit of God. You see, your soul came from God. And when God walks into the room, you say, oh, God's everywhere. Yes, he is. But there are special times when God comes in a very special way and your soul recognizes it. And inside your soul leaps and says, that's the presence of, that's the presence of God. The internal soul recognized in Felix. You may not understand this. Everybody try to keep your attention on this, please. You may not understand this. But sometimes when the presence of God moves, it will bring tears to your eyes. Not always. Sometimes it will cause goosebumps on your arms. Sometimes you'll feel a warm feeling in your chest. But the Spirit of God, when it comes into a room in a very special way, your, your spiritual body, your spiritual soul recognizes it for what it is. God purposely made you that way. Don't feel strange if when you're in the house of God and, and you're singing or praising God, suddenly tears come to your eyes and you don't know why. Amen. Be more concerned if you sit like an ice cube. That's more dangerous than feeling the presence of God. It was not uncommon to see, hallelujah, it was not uncommon to see a prisoner tremble in the court of Felix. But it was Felix who now trembled and stammered, and he said, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Felix left the courtroom a shaken man. His soul had felt something that he could not explain. He was a very pragmatic, practical guy. 
climbing the ladder of success and, and suddenly he felt something. He didn't know what to do with it, but he knew it was real and, and he felt it and he, he rushed out of the courtroom a shaken man but unchanged. And his last recorded words are ringing in my ears still today. His last recorded words are this. Go thy way. For this time, when I have a convenient season, I'll call for you. He did not realize that he had arrived at God's door of opportunity, but was so busy, so preoccupied, so distracted. Just like the enemy is trying to do to you right now. So distracted by his next dinner date. So distracted by his next contract. So distracted by some other such thing that he mumbled as he rushed out the door, go thy way for this time when I have a convenient season, I, I'll call for you. You know, I've searched this book. I've looked it over front to cover, from cover to cover. And Felix never did find a convenient season. If God were to allow you to hear the screams, and this is Christmas Eve, but I'm preaching to souls that's going to live forever. So, If God were to allow you to hear the screams of souls that come from hell, it's very likely you would hear somebody by the name of Felix crying out, Paul, I'm sorry. I was too busy. Please, can I have one more chance? Now compare the attitude of the innkeeper who had no room in the inn with the Roman centurion that Jesus taught, talked about in Matthew chapter 8. Now you know a Roman centurion was an officer over 100 soldiers and, and centurions were expected to lead from the front, inspire their men, display exceptional courage and resilience in the face of danger. They were at the forefront of combat, leading their troops into battle. Example, bravery and strength. And, and the Bible says that when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. But speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. Look at the attitude of the Roman centurion. A Bethlehem innkeeper had no room, no regard for the Christ child, but a Roman army officer over 100 men recognized divinity when he saw it and said, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Wow, that's the way I feel. I'm not worthy, Lord. You should come under my roof. Christ is not valued at all unless he's valued above all. You can't value Christ and mammon. You cannot serve Christ and mammon. 
Christ must either be exalted above all or he's not exalted at all. When a person gives God second place, when a person gives God second place, it's not long before God has no place. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to folks right now that this could be a turning point. This could be where you say, wow, I got to get my direction back in order. I got to get my priorities back in order. Uh, who's on first? I, 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 I get, get my priorities right here. I, I've got an eternal soul. I have an eternal purpose. I have an eternal mission. I'm going to live forever somewhere. What in the name of God am I doing anyhow? Where am I spending the bulk of my time? You can tell who a person's God is by what they spend most of their time doing. Somebody said, Pastor, I came here to be uplifted. And here you are. You've done gone to meddling. You know why I get to meddling? Because I love you. I want you to be saved almost as bad as I want to be saved. Amen. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your name is. I just know I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account for the people that I preach to. And I'm preaching to somebody and I'm begging you in the name of Jesus. Make room. I want to tell you that there are, are riptides in life. Strong currents that flow away from our blessed Lord. And if you get caught in that riptide and you don't do something about it immediately, you can be eternally separated. Walter Marino, some of you might remember this story. It's a true story. Walter Marino, his 12-year-old son Christopher, and his daughter Angela were enjoying a, a family day at the beach just south of Daytona Beach in Florida. His son Christopher was an autistic child who was largely nonverbal. Christopher loved Disney's toy story. And one phrase that would get a verbal response was if someone shouted, To infinity! To which Christopher would always shout back, and beyond. Late in the afternoon, hey, hey, hey. Late in the afternoon, Christopher was swimming near his father when he got caught in a dangerous riptide. His dad paddled as hard as he could to retrieve him, but to no avail. They were both pulled out farther and farther from the shore. The current took them totally by surprise. On the beach, when Angela could no longer see her father and brother, she called 911. The Coast Guard launched a, a search and rescue effort, but were unable to locate the pair and called off the search when darkness set in. At first, Walter and his son managed to stay together. Face to face, Walter and his son treaded water. But as the hours wore on and the darkness of the night closed in, they became separated. 
lost at sea with nothing to hold on to in the dreadful darkness of night in the forbidding Atlantic Walter remembered his son's love of Buzz Lightyear and he screamed out in the darkness of the night to infinity and was relieved to hear Christopher call back and beyond Walter cried out at regular intervals and, and Christopher answered each time but each time Christopher's voice grew more distant until Walter could not hear his son's voice anymore and throughout the long night father and son slowly floated apart the waters in the area were shark and jellyfish infested and, and both Walter and Christopher suffered from jellyfish things Walter tried to console himself his son was gone but he couldn't give up he, he did not want his daughter to lose her dad and her brother all in the same night Somehow Walter managed to stay afloat throughout the night. It was around 7.30 the next morning. The fishermen spotted a glint in the waters and rescued Walter. The fate of his son was still unknown. Walter had little hope. Upon being rescued, Walter went below the deck on a Coast Guard cutter, numb with grief for his 12-year-old son. Two more hours of searching, Captain asked Walter to come on deck, and with a heavy heart, he climbed up to the deck knowing that they in all likelihood needed him to identify his son's body. He got up there and they pointed to a helicopter and said, see that helicopter over there that has your son in it and he's fine. That dad grabbed and kissed as many Coast Guardsmen that he could find in those next few moments. God had done an, an incredible miracle. Christopher had just been picked up three miles from where his father was found and eight miles from shore. Amazingly, 12-year-old autistic Christopher Marino had managed to tread water for almost 14 hours in spite of being stung by jellyfish and being alone on a dark night on the Atlantic. But there's one thing I want to add to this story before I move on. After the rescue, Marino said he used a lighthouse to remain floating in the area for searchers. And, and I want you to, to hear what he said. I quote him. He said, quote, Without the lighthouse, we would not have found our way. No wonder the devil doesn't want you to gather together and so much more as you see the day approaching of the coming Lord. He doesn't want the light on the lighthouse giving you direction. He doesn't want a pulpit in your life. He wants a howling that will tell you what you want to hear. He doesn't want you to hear somebody that's going to preach and tell you what you need to hear. But in the name of Jesus Christ, I'm asking for somebody to listen to me carefully. God already knew before you came today who all would be here. And I'm telling you, there's a riptide that's trying to take somebody further and further, imperceptibly, slowly, but surely, trying to take you away from the purpose and the plan of God for your life. Jesus, you're my reason for living. 
I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Wow. Please, God, let me be one of those that makes room in my life. Walter, I'm not picking on you today, but I'm going to tell another story. And this child's name was Wally. So you, your name's Walter and you go by Wally. Bang, bang. I'm coming to a close. Wally, Wally was nine that year and he was in the second grade. He should have been in the fourth. Most people in town knew that Wally had difficulty keeping up. He was big, he was awkward, slow in movement, and slow in mind. Still, Wally was well-liked by just about all the other kids in his class, and all of whom were smaller than he was. Though the boys had trouble hiding their irritation when Wally would ask to play ball with them, or any game for that matter in which winning was important. They'd find a way to keep him out, but, but, but Wally would hang around anyway, not sulking. He was not that kind of boy, just hoping. He, he was a, a helpful boy, always willing and smiling, and the protector, paradoxically, of the underdog. If the older boys chase the younger ones away, boys, listen to me. If the older boys chase the younger boys away, it would be Wally who'd say, can't they stay? They're no bother. Wally fancied the idea of being a shepherd in the, Christian, in the Christmas pageant. But the play's director, Miss Lombard, assigned him to a more important role. After all, she reasoned, the innkeeper did not have too many lines, and Wally's size would make his refusal of lodging to Joseph more forceful. And so it was that a large audience gathered for the school's yearly production of the birth of Christ at Bethlehem. No one on stage or off was more caught up in the magic of the night than Wally Perling. They said later that he stood in the wings and watched the performance with such fascination that Miss Lombard had to make sure he didn't wander on stage before his cue. When the time came, Joseph appeared slowly, tenderly guiding Mary to the door of the inn. Joseph knocked hard on the wooden door, set to the painted backdrop while the innkeeper was there, waiting. What do you want, Wally said, swinging the door open with an impatient gesture. Joseph said, we, we seek lodging. Seek it elsewhere, Wally spoke sharply. The inn is filled. Sir, we have asked everywhere in vain. We have traveled far and are very weary. There's no room in this inn for you. Wally looked properly stern. Please, good innkeeper, this is my wife, Mary. She's heavy with child. She needs a place to rest. Surely 
You must have at least one small corner for her. She's so very tired. Now for the first time, the innkeeper relaxed his stiff stance and he looked down at Mary and with that there was a long pause and long enough to make the audience a bit tense with embarrassment. No! Be gone! The prompter whispered. No! Wally repeated automatically. Be gone! Joseph sadly placed his arm around Mary. Mary laid her head up on her husband's shoulder. The two of them started to move away. The innkeeper did not return inside his inn, however. Wally stood there in the doorway, watching the forlorn couple. His mouth was open, his brow creased with concern, his eyes filling unmistakably with tears. And suddenly this Christmas pageant became different from all others. Don't go, Joseph, Wally called out. Bring Mary back. And Wally's face grew into a bright smile. You can have my room. Jesus, you can have my room. I want you to be in my heart, Lord. I know at the beginning of this message, I sing, no room. But that's not you, is it? And that's not me, is it? Shh, shh, shh. It's not you, it's not me. What we want to say is, Come in to my heart. Come in to my heart. Come in to my heart. Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in to my heart, Jesus, you can have my room, into my heart, come in to my heart. Lord Jesus, come in today, come in to stay, come into my heart, 